0: Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, your weekly dose of 20 minutes or so of chat and comment around uh, hotel industry matters of note, uh, particularly pertaining to investment in the sector. Uh, You find me, Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst, joining Andrew Sankster, the editor or director of Hotel Analyst, for this week's chat. And as usual, we're picking three topics that have caught our eye. We've written some more and in more detail about these in this week's edition of Hotel Analyst please pop along to the website hotelanalyst.co.uk if you'd like to find out more. Okay we're going to start this week by looking at what's been going on in China particularly as there's been results out from two of the big Chinese uh, groups who are active in the hotel sector that's Hua uh, and Jinjiang uh, apologies there if our uh, pronunciation wasn't quite as it should be in Mandarin. Um, anyway, they're of in interest because they are both have major operations in China and they've also got uh, a foot in the European hotel market um, and of note, Uh, particularly from the results are what happened in the last quarter as things really started picking up in China and also their comments about what's been happening after the year end into 2021 and um, it already looks uh, certainly for their parts of the some parts of the market in China that things are uh, threatening to get back to the 2019 levels of business. Huazu operates in the budget very much the budget end of the market um, and uh, with unfortunate timing bought Deutsche Hospitality, the German-based uh, operation uh, at the back end of 2019. Uh, Xinjiang is a bit more a mixed bag in China, has uh, some limited service properties but also some more higher-end uh, properties and also uh, runs, uh, owns in Europe Louvre and Radisson. So uh, both enjoying uh, a nice substantially strong return to almost near normal trading conditions in China while nursing still losses on their european outposts. Andrew, what did you take from the from the figures?
1: Well, I've been doing some reading, Chris, um, on China's five-year plan, which is deeply exciting, as you could imagine. So um, this um, latest installment came out at the end of last year with um, details of it um, coming out in subsequent months. But uh, it's instructive in well, Xinjiang, which is now the second biggest hotelier globally, is a state-owned company and Wazoo, like all Chinese companies, is effectively under the thumb of the, the Communist Party, even if ostensibly it is an independent and listed indeed in the US. Mm. Um, it's still very much um, brought to heel um, and starting with Wazoo, uh, th- looking at their their results um, they they reference quite early on in their presentation China's dual circulation strategy now this is something which is in that latest five-year plan and really it's about boosting China's domestic demand while at the same time trying to get things right for foreign investment and um, for the export industries Um, so the latest uh, five-year plan really is the first first one that doesn't have sort of GDP figures in it, um, and it, it's more about doing stuff internally, um, if you like a, a, well, you could call it a China first strategy if that mm-hmm. hadn't already been adopted as a slogan <laughs> by uh, <laughs> by the president of another country, um, a <laughs> previous president of another country. In, in terms of what this means for the hotel sector, um, certainly within China, what we're seeing so hospitality stuff. Uh, their brands are are being brought to China and used in the in the rollout of the upscale um, attack line which they're doing. So you talked about how Wazoo and that they are predominantly, absolutely, Chris, an economy and mid-scale operator, but they are also quite keen on getting into upscale as well, um, and they're doing that using Steigenberger and Blossom House, which is a brand that they acquired fairly recently two um, and and they're pushing out into that they, they reckon over the next five years they're going to get two hundred hotels as is the way this these grand numbers are, are doled out um, in China um, so that they're, they're looking to that kind of very rapid expansion and interestingly contrasted that with what's the global major mostly us as well ihg i would describe as us mm. um with the exception of Accor, of course um but what the 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 contrast there they they highlighted ihg i think you you write about this in, in your piece yeah i think it's like marriott seven,
0: yeah seven and eleven or eleven and seven uh hotels per year is their kind yeah, of seven, s- yeah seven opening pace yeah
1: yeah yeah seven seven for IHG, 11 for marriott um which is just kind of Really, when you when you look at a and a market like China's, which is just going so growing so fast, so quickly. I mean. It, just to put this into perspective, Wazoo this year, um, which is hardly a, a banner year for, ho- for the hotel sector. It, it's going to be opening nearly two thousand hotels. Oh yeah, they, um, they,
0: they go, uh, cr- go like crazy at the market, aren't they? But
1: um, uh, yeah, but yeah, they're, I mean, they're franchises aren't they? So yeah, y- yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but even so, I mean, you know, and this this does reflect just how slow it is. And again, this is upscale versus the the overall market as well as you as you point out. So I mean, they're shutting about five hundred. 550 they said but there's still a net sort of almost 1500 mm. um hotels that they're that they're going to be opening which is uh, which is a heck of a pace um and this push into the upscale piece as well and it kind of this this domestic focus i think does call into question whether china is going to prove that great honeypot so a few years ago everybody was raving about how you know this was going to be the next major market after the us and you know the the us global majors in particular were were highlighting um, the potential of the Chinese market how it's going to be as big if not bigger than the US market well for them i don't think it is going to be i think the undoubtedly the, the the overall hotel market is going to be big um but it's going to be dominated by domestic players i think rather than um international groups i think international groups will, will do well in china but but it's certainly not going to be the the, the honeypot that um perhaps we we had hoped for um you know say five to ten years ago. Well I suppose so it, I think
0: it's also worth making a point isn't it that you know the the Chinese hotel mar- market is making this return to sort of almost 2019 levels of activity uh, while its borders still closed this is, yeah. this is entirely an yeah. internal market at the moment there's no yeah. there's no foreign travelers coming in so.
1: No, absolutely and I mean they're only just only just beginning to talk about really opening up that and um, interestingly if if you if you want to go to china you've got to have a vaccine and uh, you've got to have a chinese made vaccine oh is that actually. right ah, okay. yes, not you just can't, any vaccine you can't, no indeed so you, you've got to do that so it's interesting and uh, but, but but also i think then the, the next question arises well what happens to sort of outside of china growth and expansion because uh, xinjiang bought louvre uh five years ago and really you know what has happened since mm. then? There doesn't appear to have been a, a lot of action. Um, Radisson is certainly carrying on. Um you know, it's just a year or so that um, Xinjiang have had control of Radisson. Ra- that Radisson seemed to be, you know, ploughing on regardless. They, I mean, they talked about signing forty hotels in EMEA uh, last year, eighty-four in Asia Pacific. Um, Radisson's are being um, rolled out in China as well. the are different brands within within Radisson. Are being there's a Xinjiang, um, the the Xinjiang hotels. Um, Company uh, separate to the overall Xinjiang um, group, um, the hotel bit has a master franchise agreement to take on the uh, the the Radisson brands, and I think that's going to be a, g- a good platform to to grow Radisson in in that regard. And Radisson are saying that look, we over the next five years in Asia Pack they're going to have a, um, a a portfolio uh, which is going to be triple the size. Um, and the ultimate ambition that Radisson says it wants to have, you know, to be one of the top three hotel brands. So Xinjiang is going to have to really raise its game to what it's done with Louvre mm, um, yeah. to deliver that. Um, can it? I don't know. It's it, it, um, as always. It's one to watch.
0: Yeah, now let's move on to another uh, area of operational real estate that's uh, not hotels. That's got no beds, but it's got desks instead. Uh, we're going to look at the uh, the world of flexible work. Uh, and the uh, the serviced office operators, uh, who let's be let's be fair, if they're doing a great job, they should be serving up a decent dollop of hospitality in that service that they provide. Uh, and one one thing that's caught our interest is that WeWork is making its way back to uh, the public markets. Uh, this time, it's not going for an IPO. It's going to uh, reverse into a a special purpose acquisition company, a SPAC. Uh, which makes listing a lot easier in, uh, in, the, in the US market. Uh, the valuation is substantially down on what happened last time or when they tried to get uh, listed. Uh, but and, and while all that's going on, WeWork is, is so telling us the story that they have reformed and are a completely different animal. They're looking for much more corporate business and they're looking for much more asset-light business. Uh, all very interesting, but it comes as IWG, the uh, incumbent, in the serviced office market and formerly known as Regis uh, is hitting the ground running signing up lots more big corporate deals convinced that the world of uh, office work is changing fundamentally off the back of the pandemic uh, and they're also starting to make some acquisitions um, to fill in some gaps in their network so uh, who's going to win this battle will it be the uh, ever so sexy once upon a time but now slightly tainted WeWork or will it be the uh, the juggernaut that is IWG? And anyway, are we all going back to work in a new, more flexible way? Or are we going to go back to working in the old way we always have done? Or are we going to all be sitting at home uh, for- forevermore?
1: Yeah, I, I wanted to avoid that eternal question about the office I think you know we, we've All right. made it pretty clear that we think <laughs> that getting back to the office is more likely to happen than not yeah. although clearly there's going to be some change in how we do that uh, but you know the end of the office as we know it is not something it's not uh, an idea we subscribe to I don't think at Hotel Analyst. Um, What I was looking at really here Chris uh, in my comment to your piece was um, about how the hotel sector um, can benefit from um, the growth of flex office and I think there's a couple of at least a couple of ways and the first is that uh, um, as workers get to work more remotely so rather than sort of being in a commuter town they possibly can you know you can go and live in paris or live in the um, shetland isles or or wherever and you come to the hq once a month or once a week or whatever it's required um that is going to create more demand i think for overnight accommodation near um hqs mm-hmm. um so that's a Clear potential, and that's because that's um, that's
0: obviously something that Citizen AM have already picked up on, haven't they? With
1: one of t- absolutely, subscription Ooh, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, sure, sure. You're getting ahead okay. of me on the subscription okay. model. I oh, no, 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 it's good. No, we'll come into that in a moment. But the other one, um, I, I, I think, is which we've touched on which i think is less um interesting from a hotel point of view but it's nonetheless something which they are getting um involved in is is actually doing some form of flex office solution themselves we've seen that in the short term with you know work from up you know come come hire a hotel room as a uh, as an alternative to working from home which i think has has been a a lifesaver for a lot of um home-based people (laughs) over during the pandemic i don't really see that having a lot of legs as we come out of Um, the pandemic however there'll be a bit of it but I don't see that being a major Mm -hmm. thing but I I think some of the the approaches that Accor are doing in terms of their hotels you know having areas set aside for um, as a flex office type offer um, indeed Citizen Air are looking at that as well I I do see that perhaps having longer um, longer lasting legs although again I don't see it being a huge thing Um, but but there are certainly big things coming up with um, with flex office now, I just wanted to, uh, it, I, when you were writing about, I, I wg chris it struck me you know what why have we got to this position where we were even even though it's um you know its valuation has been very much brought down to earth i mean it was talking about 40 something billion at one point for its ipo now less than 10 billion 9 billion i think the valuation um in this Spac deal um it's still pretty punchy relative to iwg um which is the existing market leader H- how do investors get to, to actually value it like that are they insane why, <laughs> why have they why, why have they valued it like that and I think that comes down to um, the notion of a platform mm. and um, so what um, WeWork has done I mean they've digitized um, space as a service offer um, which is certainly you know something which IWG are getting close to doing themselves but where I think um, we work ahead is in terms of creating a platform and creating a sense of community to a greater extent. Um that IWG has and other people, I don't think it used to belong to the village thing, didn't you, Chris? I mean that, that community mm. platform there. But I think we work have the most established offer in that. And that's what I think is driving investor interest. And I think of this platform within that Flex office piece as having sort of parallels with OTAs in the hotel world. Um, and we we've seen how the you know the value it's how you get to booking holdings being worth twice as much as Marriott, for example. Mm. Um, So I I think this is the perception of of how... um uh, we work is, is 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 with the perception of we work by by its uh, investors and current backers um hmm. and also it comes into if they're doing this with the platform i think you know what they could do off the back of this is venture out into other areas i think this um, um an obvious one perhaps is is corporate accommodation i would suggest especially as uh and um, the new ceo or comparatively new ceo of uh, of uh WeWork is now also a non-exec at uh, Host Hotels.
0: That uh, the the previous uh, the, fa- the co-founder of, of WeWork, who's uh, now no longer with the business, uh, he he was he was building a, a whole portfolio, wasn't he, of dreams of we this and we that, and I believe that inc- that included
1: mm, indeed Adam yeah. yes, living. indeed, yes, yes, it, it, in between smoking his way through <laughs> um, various cannabis. <laughs> plants yes um yeah he was indeed um but uh, yes that was perhaps over um overhyped to say the least but uh, I, I think that this is very much more a sort of sensible um people at the helm now um of WeWork and it's a, it's a much more serious company and certainly deserves to be taken um seriously um by the sector both in terms of potential um in terms of opportunity and potential mm. threat
0: but I mean I had to think about this uh, so they're, they're going for the enterprise market now um and uh, mm. sell so IWG. But my, my thought was, well, right now if you are uh, an enterprise with thousands of employees all around the world and you want lots of flexible office space for them to be able to drop into in, in cities and towns around the place, um, would you choose uh, WeWork, who've got probably reasonable coverage in the States, but only sort of city centres elsewhere, or would you choose IWG that's got far far broader coverage um
1: yeah. yeah no no yeah that's a very good point um chris and i think that's a very valid point um but it, it, it's a question of story yes I think. yeah you know uh we work is 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 the stock with the story Um uh, and iwg just doesn't doesn't have that same story and as um, they say
0: sex uh, sells uh, it's sexy <laughs> well let's move on now to looking at Uh, a bit more detail about the travel and hospitality sectors massive losses uh, during a year spent largely in lockdown and with very few uh, planes running from here to there Um, the the WTTC has put together a uh, report uh, their, their annual economic assessment of the sector and they've they've counted up trillions of dollars in in losses and also drew attention to the millions of jobs that have been lost globally in this sector. Mm, Um, mm. A sad tale.
1: Yes it's a a true horror show. Um, I I, I, um, sought out some data more locally to that. Um, So the House of Commons Library they published a document uh, towards the end of March um, called Hospitality Industry and COVID-19 and that they looked at the impact of the pandemic as you, you guess um, and um, it at the 10th of April um, 2020 at at the peak um the hospitality industry had 1.6 million out of a total of 2.53 million people on wow. furlough um it, sh- it yeah uh, it shows just how gruesome the whole thing i mean even at the end of january there were still 1.15 million hospitality jobs furloughed in the uk it just just shows how grim it is and just to to add to that 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 challenge is uh, something even scarier in many ways is um the um the data that between the eighth and twenty-first of February, twenty-two percent of accommodation of food businesses said that their debt repayments were more than a hundred percent of their turnover, um, which is pretty scary. Um, and this compares to just five percent across all industries. So it's no, you know, surprise that the that hospitality sector is. The worst major sector, worst hit major sector in the economy, uh, um, and you know, and it brought looking at this, and uh, you know the, one of the things that uh, the UNWTO. Um, tried to highlight was the way out of this and what you know different scenarios of what what we can see and they were hoping for a sort of July bounce back or a of September bounce back um, from this and I think they're absolutely right that we're gonna see a, a you know a sharp um, you know uh, V-shaped recovery for the sector as we get there providing we can keep the governments mm. in check and this is my big concern at the moment: is this precautionary principle that we can't take any risk at all is, is just gone far, far too far now, um, and that just doesn't, you know, and we as a community have to fight back against this, this, this nonsense because I think it's has the potential to do lasting damage and prevent us getting a, a, a sensible degree of recovery. We have to sort of say, look. Uh, uh, we we don't shut down roads because (laughs) you know a couple of thousand people in the UK die each year Um, we do sensible things um, have speed restrictions we we, you know and traffic controls and all that but we allow it to continue and we've got to take this sort of approach to hospitality we have to say look it's going to be allowed to continue until it can be shown that measures actually really matter and are important because at the moment it's a whole bunch of restrictions um are being put in place because that's what scientists Mm. think and then this is not based on actual evidence and we've got to get away from that and say look if you're going to have restrictions show us the evidence um and stop having this precautionary principle where we seem to have gone into a mode now where you have to demonstrate that it's safe well know let's get over that let's reverse this situation say show us why yeah. it's not safe and then and otherwise yes if
0: you're wrong i was looking earlier this week at uh, well a right riveting read the annual, annual report from uh, weatherspoons the uk pub group um with written mm. it is evident by the uh, the brilliant chief executive tim martin um but he did make the point uh Oh, he's the chairman, chairman. chairman he did yeah, make yeah. he did make the point yeah. in uh, in in his commentary that uh, when they were allowed to open last summer he could uh, discern no evidence of any of his staff having caught COVID-19 nor any of nor any of his establishments being the cause of any outbreak or uh, any of his customers catching it either so um you know
1: let's run with the evidence no no it's, it's not hospitality which is spreading mm. Covid it hits yeah. hospitals ironically is yeah. a prime source of, of of infection and that's eminently something that can be done without shutting down society and you know that that's a wider political issue in terms of investment in hospitals but but surely a more efficient and effective running of hospitals um, will deliver us from this this horror show we're currently enduring uh, along with doing something as well um, about elder care which is something which desperately you know is another the, the, probably the second biggest area where we, mm. we saw infection spread and, and, and in, certainly in terms of hospitali- hospitalizations and death um, it was down to the, the how poorly we managed that process in terms of Now
0: we're well, we continuing the same sort of theme with our five star award this week well, so, Andrew, over to you for awarding the five stars.
1: Um, well, yes, um, it, it is actually a challenge to this precautionary principle I, I was mentioning, and it's Sasha Lord and Hugh Osmond. Um, now, Sasha Lord is the nighttime economy advisor in Greater Manchester, and Hugh Osmond is a a well-known hospitality entrepreneur I mean he was one of the original backers of the rollout of pizza express which turned it into a national chain um he's also a, a founder one of the founders of punch taverns um he's got a current group called various eateries on the go um but the pair what they're doing is they're saying to the government look you know, there isn't any evidence to suggest that um, indoor hospitality is worse and um, more of a risk than Uh, non-essential retail so why are you opening non-essential retail on april the 12th in england and you saying that we've got to wait until may the 17th to open indoor hospitality in in england it's that you know why have we got that five week gap so they're challenging that and they hope they're hopeful that they're going to get a judicial review process underway um, from about the 19th of april so that's a five star for them for for challenging this and uh, uh, forcing the government to actually deliver some evidence for their for their and
0: uh, to one of the insurance companies who uh, insure quite a lot of uh, businesses in the hospitality sector who uh, despite a court decision that said quite clearly the clause is fairly clear in their their insurance policies they are due to pay out uh, to the insured businesses because of business interruption because uh, the the clause said if it was a government uh mandate payout uh, they still haven't put their hands in their pockets and paid out the businesses that uh, ought to be receiving payments uh, so black and white hospitality amongst others is leading a joint action to get the little devils to pay out good luck you will till next time bye for now